reading from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, verse 13. And it says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we, may, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall the same sort, by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Thanks, Mackie. Do keep that text open. We're going to be looking at that together. There's an outline of where we're going, as you'd expect, in your service sheets, and also an opportunity to ask any questions or make any comments uh, at the end. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you remain the God who is truthful, good, and sovereign. And therefore, we pray now as we consider your words in Hebrews 3 and 4, that we would vindicate your character and our response to them as we listen, trust and obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to spend a few minutes now reflecting on Hebrews uh, chapters 3 and 4. And it's one of the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And whilst the first readers were facing a particular danger... The warning will help us to think about what are the important issues in life. And I take it that at the beginning of the new year, it's not uncommon to think ahead and think about what are our priorities for the year, what we want to be doing, and what we're intending on being busy with. And I trust that this time now will help us to orientate ourselves, to reflect on our priorities, and to think on what it is that we want to be striving for. The passage actually begins with a command to consider Jesus. It's there in chapter 3, verse 1. And there's something specific that the author wants his readers to consider about Jesus. Considering Jesus is not just about saying Jesus more, but who Jesus is. It's not enough just to say the word Jesus a lot. The issue is who we understand him to be and whether we understand what the Bible means him to be or whether we understand or whether we've made up our own meaning for ourselves. And the thing in view here about Jesus is his faithfulness to God. It actually begins with a comparison with Moses. Moses was faithful to God But Jesus was faithful to God in a superior way. Jesus was faithful not as a servant in God's house, but as a son over God's house. And Jesus' faithfulness to God leads the author to consider the faithfulness of his readers. And it's here that we get that warning in chapter 3, verse 7. Do not harden your hearts. Now, this language of hardening hearts occurs throughout the Bible, and it does risk being a bit of Christian jargon. And the danger then is we can assume that everyone knows what we're talking about. So let's just spend a few moments clarifying what precisely we're being warned against. This hardening of heart concerns a response to hearing God's voice. That's what the text says in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. It's a negative response to hearing God's voice. In that sense, it's not just simply being unkind or unsympathetic. Rather, it's actually about our response to God and hearing his voice. We're given a concrete example of this, uh, of where this happened in the life of Israel. The events that are referred to in Psalm 95, in which is quoted, refers to that first generation of Israel that were redeemed from Egypt. And they were redeemed from Egypt for the land that God would give them, that he promised them, where they would dwell with him and he would be their God and they would be his people. That is what God said to them. That was the the content of God's voice, this promise concerning entering God's rest. As the events played out, the people responded wrongly to God's promise. It began with the people complaining on the journey, complaining about the lack of resources, doubting that God would provide for them, that they would die on the way, and for that reason they'd prefer to be back in Egypt. It reached its chilling climax when on the edge of the land that God had promised them. The spies came back, told them how good the land was, but the land was inhabited, and they would first have to destroy their enemies. It was at that point that they rebelled and thought that they would not be able to do it. And therefore they refused to enter the land. Despite having seen God's mighty acts from having rescued them from Egypt, they doubted his power to give them the land that he had promised. As a result, they didn't enter the land. God refused them entry. That generation would remain in the wilderness until it perished and the next generation had been born. This then becomes instructive for us about what it means to harden our hearts. It's about a negative response to God's promise to enter his rest, bringing into question his goodness, provision and power. Now, there's also mention in this text of Israel's unbelief. Did you see it there in chapter 3, verse 18? And unbelief is an interesting word uh, for us today because unbelief can have a tendency today to engender sympathy uh, and even legitimacy. But if you look closely at verse 18, there is a parallelism. Let's pick it up again from verse 18, see if you can see it. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Not enter his rest in verse 18 parallels with the idea of unable to enter in verse 19. And those who were disobedient in verse 18 parallels with the idea of unbelief in verse 19. That's to say that unbelief is paralleled with disobedience. And of course, we see it in the example of Israel. They were disobedient. Despite God's promise, they refused it. They refused to trust God and submit to him. And there's therefore a culpability here. 
And this only adds to the danger because their unbelief wasn't met with sympathy, but by being unable to enter God's rest. Now, this warning of hardening their hearts still applies to the readers of Hebrews, and by implication, us here today. And the reason is because the promise of entering God's rest still remains. The reason why this warning is so pertinent for us is because the promise of rest remains. See, if there was no promise, then there'd be no danger. No, if we've already arrived, then there's no possibilities of not arriving because we're already there. It's because the promise of God's rest still remains that it's important that we continue to respond rightly to God's voice. The author explains why it is that the promise of God's rest still remains. It begins with reference to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That having created the world, God rested. The goal of God's creation was this rest. In other words, the origins of this idea of entering God's rest goes back further than entering Canaan, but to the goal of creation. It is God's creation purpose that is this rest. And so there is a sense that the promise of entering this rest has been there from the beginning. But the author then makes an argument from redemptive history using Psalm 95. Because Psalm 95 speaks of a warning of the danger of not entering God's rest. But, and this is crucial, Psalm 95 was written after the people had already entered Canaan. And therefore the author of Hebrews says, if I read again verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There must be a rest still outstanding. You don't promise another rest. You can't speak of entering another rest if there isn't still a rest that's outstanding and to be entered. It remains this rest. And it's because it remains our response to God's voice is important. Entering Canaan foreshadowed entering the rest, the ultimate rest, which is the fulfilment of God's creation purpose, of entering God's rest, of dwelling in the land that he has promised his people, where he will dwell with them, where he will be his God, where he will be their God, and they will be his people. It's precisely because the promise of entering God's rest remains still for us to enter that rest, that there is this need for the warning because we're not there yet. And so he concludes this section with a command. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We're to strive to enter that rest. This, this is what we're striving for. As long as it's called today, we're here, and the promise of rest still remains, we're to strive to enter. 
While the promises remain, we must persevere in them. Now, there will come a point when we no longer have to persevere because we'll be there. That work of perseverance will be over. And that's the idea there in chapter 4, verse 11. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Once we've entered God's rest, we will no longer work. There'd be no more striving to do. When we're there, there'd be no longer any sin. And so no longer any potential to be deceived by sin or for our hearts to be hardened, for us to be disobedient. That will no longer be possible. We live in this peculiar time where we have this work of perseverance to do. Because when we've entered God's rest, that work will be complete and we will no longer have to strive to enter. Now you might think that this emphasis on striving sounds a bit desperate and makes entering God's rest uncertain. But that would be to misunderstand what the author to the Hebrews is saying. But have a look back at chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice it doesn't say that we will share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That would make it, that would be the idea that we only make it, that would be the idea that only if we make it, then we will share in Christ. Rather, the text says, we share, present tense, if we continue to the end. The fact that we strive to enter God's rest is the inevitable fruit that we already share in Christ. So whilst this is a warning, this is also a confidence that real Christians persevere. Real Christians strive to the end. And that our striving to enter is the inevitable fruit that we already share in Christ. And it follows, therefore, from this verse that although perseverance is necessary, it's also evidence of what has already taken place in the past. Perseverance becomes one of the essential ingredients of what it means to be a Christian. Well, we began by observing that it's not uncommon at the beginning of a new year to look ahead to what we're going to be striving for. What are our plans? And this passage helps orientate ourselves. It provides an eternal perspective that the goal of all creation is to enter God's rest. And therefore, our priority is to enter that rest and that we share in that priority. We have another year of persevering, of striving to enter that rest of being careful of our response to God's voice, when we hear God's voice, to have that perspective that the promise of God's rest still remains. And therefore, as a priority, we strive to enter. 
But let us finish by making reference to chapter 3, verse 13. Have a look. 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here we're told to exhort one another, or to encourage one another in these things. And whilst the author to the Hebrews shares this concern for his readers to enter God's rest, he also expects his readers to share that concern for one another. And it's a question to think through, isn't it? How do I share a concern for one another to enter God's rest? In many ways, it will come out of the depth and richness of relationships that we have with one another. But I take it that one of the ways that we can encourage one another to strive to enter is that we ourselves strive to enter, that we persevere. It's very encouraging, isn't it, when we see others persevering, of maintaining an eternal perspective through trials and pushing on to enter God's rest. And it's hard to share that concern for one another when we ourselves are drifting away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the promise of entering your rest still remains. And therefore pray that we would be careful in our response to that promise, that we would persevere and persevere together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I said at the start, there'd be an opportunity for any questions or comments. Now is your opportunity, if you would like. Just give you a minute to have a think. Josh.
Yeah, it's, it's just for the recording, so uh, sort of a comment question around uh, how to understand entering God's rest. You know, is it, um, are we right in thinking it's about persevering, trusting in the promises, that sort of thing? So, yeah, it's that sort of thing. I think we can, um, I mean, obviously, so just to step back a bit, there is a, there's obviously an end point to it all in terms of, and I think you get that with the paradigm of, in Israel, that they were uh, redeemed from Egypt for entry into the promised land. And so they started, they were redeemed, but then they never made it into the land that God had promised. So I guess in that sense, we're thinking ultimately that the, the, the um, here in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the mind of the author Hebrews, entering God's rest is, is, is um, uh, particularly pinpointed into entering God's, um, new creation, his consummated kingdom. So going back to Hebrews 2, there's that whole idea that Jesus has already taken his place as the firstborn over creation and then the rest will follow. So in that sense, entering that rest has, its, has a point where there will be a point where we've entered. We will no longer persevere because we'll be there. We will dwell with God. He will be our God. We will be his people. So it's that kind of it's that thing, and so therefore, it's because we're not there yet, there is that need to um, persevere, to keep going, because obviously the readers here are at risk of drifting away, and therefore, that would be like starting, but never actually arriving at the final destination. Um, but you might also be thinking, um, you know, we talk about the now and not yet paradigm in terms of how we enter God's rest. It's the very act of persevering, entering God's rest. And I think we can say yes to that. Um, but it goes back to this whole thing. You know, we talk about how the letters are, are occasional. And the writer of the Hebrews isn't writing a, a chapter all about everything. He's particularly concerned for his readers that they've started that they need to persevere, otherwise they risk not entering God's rest. And so here, because you could say, have you entered God's rest? Well, I have. I'm already in God's rest, but I've entered, but I've not, it's not been, I'm not, I'm not experiencing the fullness of that. But the author is, he's, he's less concerned about the now, but more about the not yet, because that's what it's risking. So there's still like a, it's, it's, we've received a down payment of the spirit, but it's not yet fully paid up in the sense we haven't experienced the fullness of the blessings of entering God's rest. Yeah. Does that? I think so. And it goes back to that whole sharing that concern that we're in it for the long haul. It was interesting, um, Tim, um, many of you know Tim and Fiona, but when um, Tim has a special friendship with Nathan, because we well, have to ask him why. But anyway, Tim was really happy to, 
Well, Nathan's here at church. No, okay, I need to explain that now. Nathan's here at church, partly because Tim was our man at the university. Anyway, it's his story to tell. But in coming, Tim, they're always like particularly happy to see each other. But Tim yesterday said, oh, it's, I can't remember what you said, but you kind of said like, oh, it's good to see that um, Nathan's you know, keeping going. But then you kind of said like, oh, yeah, but not just now for the next sort of 20, 30 years. And if you're young, you might not think in those sort of categories, but, you know, 20, 30 years is nothing compared to eternity. So, like, Tim's concern for Nathan as an older brother is thinking, you know, the whole of life. Because if they meet up in 40 years and Nathan's, you know, ditched his faith, you know, what was the point? So, in that sense, yeah, there is that, yeah, there's that ongoing work. And it's all linked to our response to God's voice. So, in other words, we need to be putting ourselves in a position where we hear God's voice, to hear the promises, because that is what we're putting our confidence in. But there's always a danger when you hear those promises that we... Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I've, I've got other plans. Cool. Anybody else? So it's a bit... Susie. So that's a good one. So question about, it says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering God's, of his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And this idea of fear, should we fear God? How do we think about that? We want to be over-anxious, you know, that sort of thing. So I think, um, I think one thing that's helpful just to start with is we can think of, like, fear is bad, and therefore we're trying to not fear. Um, but it's not really the way the Bible puts it together, because basically um, uh, it's not so much the question of do we fear, but what do we fear? Um, and so the question is, what's the object of our fear? And there's a very helpful insight um, from Mike Ovey where he talks about what we fear reveals where we think true power lies. And so the option is, well, take the Israelites when they're on the edge of the land. They didn't fear God. They feared the inhabitants of the land and therefore that they weren't going to be able to take the land and that's why they wished they were back in Egypt. Um, now, but this is a really cool thing because... Um, obviously, where do Christians, where do we think true power lies in the uncreated crater? I mean, that's, 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 101, that's just Christian basics, Christian 101s. Um, but, but the wonderful thing is, is that we find that the God who we are to fear is the God who's made these wonderful promises about entering God's rest. So actually, that changes 
that that fear isn't a fear of condemnation or judgment, which in many ways that would be perfectly just. But actually we find the, the God whom we should fear, because in who lies absolute authority, has made these promises, and not only made the promises, but sent his son for us and our salvation. Um, and as we go on and think about in the Lord's Supper, that Jesus has become our great high priest, that he himself has, has given his life as a sacrifice to secure our entry into the promise. Um, and so I guess then you, you, you have that, you know, we talk about the simplicity of God, that he's all of his attributes. He's not just fear, but he's love and he's just and he's faithful and you've, all of those things inform the other. Um, but I think that's quite helpful because we're not then, it's not, it's not the, 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 um, the thing in your mind is not fear, but no fear. I'll give you one more example of that, which has been really helpful for some of us. You know the whole, get this right, love thing. Tom, help me if I get this wrong. So love, we often, oh, that's it, we can have, um, oh, what's it? So, um, you know this whole thing about um, low self-esteem? Uh, and you can have pride. And you just think, there's, you have one axis. You've got low self-esteem here. I'm not good at anything. Pride. I'm overly confident. And socially acceptable in our circles is to be somewhere in the middle. You know, have a bit of pride, but don't, don't be too cocky because we'll slap you down. <laughs> or if we're... Um, if we're crushed, then people will say, oh, you're wonderful, you can do this, and you move into that thing. That, that's kind of a, an axis. And many ways we have that because it's a, it's a human axis, there's no God. But the way the Bible puts it together is that both low self-esteem and um, pride are forms of self-love. Okay? And the antidote of self-love is love of God. So in other words, we all have love. The question is, what kind of love do we have? Is it self-love? Is it a love curved in on ourselves? Or is it a love of God? And the reason why pride and low self-esteem are the same, because if you love yourself, the question is, what do you think about yourself? If you think you're wonderful, you're full of pride. If you think you're rubbish, you have low self-esteem. But it's all the same self-love. It's just whether I like myself or not. And that results in those two things. But that's where, and I think the reason why we're different from the world is that they don't have God in the picture. So when it comes to love or fear, the thing we want to do is turn from love of self, turn from fear of anything other than fear of God, because it's in him true power lies, and love of God, because uh, he's our creator and redeemer and worthy. So I think that's, that's a kind of a, and I think that then helps us to make sense of, of, of then, therefore, here the warning is, be very careful about fearing anything other than God, because you're actually then betraying who God is. So it's a kind of a take the warning seriously. One more quick one. We'll be done. I know some of us had a late night last night. Archie, first new year. Oh. <laughs> Good question. Why do the people not listen to God? That's a very profound question. 
one of the blessings of having young people in the church that cause us to think. Um, so, um, I think... Um, so, interesting, Archie. So, it all goes wrong in Genesis 3, where, basically, God tells Adam, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because you'll surely die. And if there's one thing we know about God, what he says happens. He said, let there be light. There was light. Let the waters tingle living creatures, loads of them. So, absolutely... So then, for Adam not to trust that word and eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's crazy. It's madness. Um, so, in one sense, not listening to God makes no sense at all. And I think when you read the Bible, it... There is that, I was going to say, that in, in, incredulability, but that's probably not a word that you're familiar with. It's a good Scrabble word, but that kind of, that kind of like, what's, what's going on? Why are you not listening to God's voice? Do you not know who he is? And that's part of it, that people have, have, um, uh, want to live life their own way and not live uh, God's way. So in one sense, I think your answer is, it's madness. Um, and... The wonderful thing is, is that for all of us who, um, as offspring of Adam, naturally don't listen to God's voice, God um, uh, has, yeah, the message of, of, of the Christian, message of Christianity, message of the Bible, is that he, uh, he saves us, he rescues us, he redeems us, gives us new hearts, so that we want to listen to God's voice. If you ask the people sitting around here, do you want to listen to God's voice, we're going to say we do. And that's one of the things that's special about God's people, that we want to pay close attention to God's voice. And that's because of what God has done for us to give us new hearts that are attentive to him. Okay, I hope that helps. If not, ask your mum and dad. You can ask them a bit more. But thanks for that question. Yep, cool, got a nod. Okay, we're going to sing... Um, a song which helps us to um, think about uh, entering God's rest. <laughs>